Cool. Did you know that uh, when these letters were written, so this is Galatians, so it's a letter written to the church in Galatia, uh, that uh, what was common, especially with the Greek, uh, uh, the Greek hearers, is that the letter would be performed. So the letter was sent uh, with someone. So as an example, Romans was sent uh, with Phoebe. So Phoebe uh, learnt probably by heart the letter from Paul to the church in Rome and then performed it as she went around to the churches. And so it's really important that we actually hear the word together and then we unpack the word and then we go and live the word. Amen? Cool. Um, so just before I get started, I just wanted to uh, just remind everyone about Tihahi, uh, our, our Tihahi training uh, is this coming Saturday. If you're not sure what Tihahi is, uh, Tihahi is an inter-church um, initiative uh, that works with the local police and uh, we go into uh, homes after a low-level family harm or domestic violence event and we're able to go in and be the church. Tihahi means the church. And uh, so we get to be the church in action. If you are interested in being a part of that and you haven't yet registered or you've heard nothing about that, maybe you're hearing it for the first time, it's not too late. There is some info on the desk at the back. Um, but if you uh, are wanting to be a part of that and you haven't yet, um, check out the info, but please talk to me before you go today and I'll help um, sort you out. It's a really, really great initiative. I'm looking forward to uh, being able to be a part of that in the coming months this year. So, all right, um, let me pray, and then we, can, then we can get started. Yeah, Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you that uh, you sent your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you have done all that we could not do. And I thank you that because you have done it all on our behalf, there is nothing that we can boast in. And I thank you if there's nothing we can boast in, then there's nothing we can compare ourselves to in one another either. So we thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, would you lead us into truth as you do so graciously? Would you confront us where we need confronting and lead us into love where we need more love? Yeah, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here and present with us. Amen. Amen. Cool, all right, so if you've got some questions this morning, the number will be up on the screen. You can flick those questions through and we will uh, attempt to answer those uh, a little bit later. So um, our, our series at the moment is Becoming, uh, and so the idea is, is that uh, we would find Jesus in one another, that we are becoming something, we are becoming a, a beautiful family, a beautiful kingdom family, that we all have gifts and talents and, and things that we add and we get to serve one another, we get to love one another. And this whole idea of one anothering is actually the primary uh, role of the church, that we are to one another, one another. And so, um, and so I want to uh, just start with this thought that, that uh, in Christ we have already become something. Uh, and we are becoming something. And one day in the resurrection we will become the fulfillment of what we are becoming. Um, but the idea is this, is that, that Jesus has paid the price in full. That is one of our core beliefs. Jesus had, has paid the price in full. There is nothing that you can bring to the table that will add to your righteousness. He has done it all on your behalf. 
But what are we becoming? We are becoming more and more like Christ when our mind catch up, catches up with what he has already done. When our mind catches up with the righteousness that he has recreated us to be. And so we are becoming something as we come in humility, realizing that we can't bring anything to the table. But as our minds are renewed and our hearts are changed, we're becoming more and more like him. Isn't it beautiful? So this is what we're talking about. And so what happens is that we are presented with a little bit of a paradox here, and the kingdom is actually full of paradoxes. Um, But the paradox is that we are given commands in one breath, so this command to love one another, uh, and and then we are told that we cannot do them. (laughs) So we're given commands in one breath, and then in another breath said, you cannot do this without me. So we're given commands and then said, you cannot do them. So the paradox is that we are becoming something that we physically cannot become in our own effort. So we are becoming something that you cannot become except for Christ. And so there is nothing that we can bring that will add to our righteousness. In fact, fact, Paul says that even if you try and bring something to the table, it's considered as filthy rags. Even your good works, even the best thing that you could possibly do, if you think that that will add to your righteousness, Paul says that is like filthy rags. In fact, he goes as far as to say, he says this is like menstrual cloth. That's actually the language that he used. He says this is, even the best that you could do, it would not add to the glory of who Christ is and who he has created you to be. And so what happens is that, is that we're presented with this paradox, and, and, and I think, some, maybe think about it like this, sometimes we say that, that someone might have low self-worth, and that they need to have a higher self-worth. That would be the way the world looks at it, whereas in the kingdom we would say there is no worth in self. And so instead of having high self-worth, we actually want to find our worth in Christ. Because anything of self that I bring to the table is to bring myself to the table and not to bring Christ to the table. And so there's this paradox here. It's this upside down, opposite to the way that we think kind of idea. And Paul puts it to to the church in Corinth. He says it like this. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, he's saying your natural man cannot understand this concept. Only through the Spirit of God will you actually get a grasp of this upside down way of living, thinking, and acting. In other words, he's saying if you could figure this out on your own, then you could take glory that isn't yours. So only through the Spirit of God can we actually live this out. So I'll give you an example. So um, when we talk about unity, and if you look through pretty much every letter that Paul writes to the churches, um, the, the goal and the purpose of those is, is unity. Most of the time he's addressing some sort of uh, issue that is causing disunity in the churches. And, and so the goal is unity. But imagine this. Uh, the, the point is, is this, that true unity is only possible when we stop trying to be unified. Yet true unity is only possible when we stop trying to be unified. And I get that you're going, what are you on about, Michael? That makes no sense. That's right, it doesn't make sense. A.W. Tozer put it really, really well. Um, but, but, uh, uh, so the point is this. Uh, yeah, so in our striving for unity, in our, in our, in our flesh, in our man-way think, way of thinking about it, what we actually do is create uniformity. And if we create uniformity, we have started a cult. <laughs> you know, and I'm not down with that. Uh, 
So if you want to join a cult, go somewhere else. Um, but so, so in our striving for unity, we create uniformity. That's the start of a cult. A.W. Tozer put it like this. He said, 100 religious persons knit into unity by careful organizations do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make a football team. Then he went on to say this, he said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshippers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. As we behold Christ, we become like him. As we become like him, we grow in unity. Not in our looking at one another. So how do we know that we are becoming more like Jesus? Uh, I think probably the one word that I could think of would be trust, that we are growing in trust of Jesus as we become more like him. The more we, we become more like Jesus, the more we trust him. We trust in his ways, we trust in his life, we trust in his truth. And so a disciple could maybe be described as someone who is growing in deeper, intimate trust with Jesus. So as we um, obey the law of love, and, and last week, remember, we said that if we, if we love God, then we will want to obey his commands, his commands to love one another as he has loved us. So as we obey the law of love, we are embodying the nature and character of Jesus. So we're taking on his characteristics, we're taking on his nature, and we're becoming like him. And I think one of the primary characteristics that we find about Jesus is, is that of a humble servant. Has anyone ever noticed that? That one of the key characteristics of Jesus is that of a humble servant. So, uh, so if Jesus has taken up residence on the inside of us through the indwelling presence of the, of the Holy Spirit, then we have become and are becoming more and more like servants. More and more like servants. So let's look at our text today, Galatians 5, Galatians 5, and, and I love Galatians, it's such an interesting um, little book, um, and, and Paul is addressing, again, this issue of disunity, there's, a, there's disunity uh, amongst the church in Galatia, and, and so the issue was that he is addressing is that some people were, have been teaching a different message, and it's causing disunity, and what people were teaching was that you needed, uh, you needed to be circumcised or to, to observe the laws of the Torah uh, to actually follow Jesus. Um, which is really interesting when you think about it. If someone said to me, hey, come follow Jesus, all you need to do is get circumcised. Uh, like it's a pretty big sacrifice, really, hey, to, to want to do that. But, <laughs> but the truth is that they were being taught that you have, to, it was a Jesus plus message. You need Jesus plus this. You need Jesus plus this. And so it's becoming, uh, you know, a, a Jesus plus message. And, and what, Paul, what Paul was saying is, if you want to just do the circumcision thing, you actually bring the whole law on yourself. You can't just take parts of it. Either you live by the whole law and be judged by the whole law, or you live with trust in Christ that he has set us free from the law. So Paul was writing to reaffirm the gospel message and, and address the belief that non-Jewish Christians should follow the laws of Torah. Um, 
There's some really humorous parts, eh? Like you look in uh, Galatians 3 and he starts with this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And then in in chapter five, like he's obviously so frustrated when he's writing to them. Like you just sort of see Paul's personality coming out. And and he goes, you know, those people that are teaching you this, I just wish they would go the whole way and castrate themselves. I wish they'd just cut it all off. (laughs) Like he's like, you know, and then in chapter six, he says this. He goes, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. You know, just imagine, you know, there's a reading the letter or it's been performed for them and it's like there's big letters written across the page. Like, I really, really mean this. And it's just, I just think it's really humorous and interesting. Anyway, Paul wants the Galatian church um, and us to know that Jesus' transforming presence through the Spirit equips all believers to obey the commands that Jesus has given us to love each other. And through the Spirit, all believers may follow Jesus' way of life and become people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they're kind of like beautiful parts of a cake. Hey, Like if love is the cake, then joy is part of that recipe and, and peace is part of that recipe and patience and all of these things. Anyway, in verse one of chapter five, he starts with this. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So what is this freedom? Uh, and and um, what is it? Freedom to do, is it freedom to do what I want? Um, is it freedom from any sense of responsibility? What is it? Freedom from what? Um, and so this freedom that is described here is actually freedom from yourself. Paul is saying you have been set free from yourself. Your freedom from your old performance and achievement mindset, freedom from grasping and taking, freedom from your old nature, our old way of living, thinking and acting, and freedom towards a new life. So you are most free when you are free from the illusion of self, the deception of self. That is the greatest deception in the world is the deception of self that you somehow are able to bring something to the table that would add to your righteousness. That is the greatest illusion and the greatest deception. And becoming like Christ is truly trusting that it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And then Jesus whispers something in our ear. He says, now that you're truly free, what are you going to do with your freedom?" See, Paul goes on to say, are you going to use it to gratify the lust of the flesh? Use it to gratify the selfish desires of the gold glory in the girls or the guys, depending. Ever thought about this? That, uh, you know, have you ever thought about what is the greatest opposition to the kingdom of heaven on the earth? What is the greatest opposition? And maybe you might say, well, the greatest opposition, of course, is, is the devil. It's the kingdom of darkness. Um, I would like to suggest that the devil is a defeated foe. The greatest opposition to the kingdom of heaven on the earth is the kingdom of self. See, freedom is God's gift to us, and then what we do with it is our gift back to him. Yeah, so he goes on to say this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Don't go back. 
And so if I was writing a letter to Awaken Church, I would say right here, look at the big letters I'm using here. See what big words I'm writing with my own hand. And I would say this, the, the, the delusion of self is the most enslaving way to live. We're enslaved by what, by what people think about us. We're enslaved by comparison, competition, and achievement, and all of those things are like the shifting sand of the desert. They will not quench the thirst of an insecure soul. Paul goes on to say, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Use your freedom to love one another, to serve one another. And he goes on to say, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You see, when we live by a performance and achievement mindset, we live by comparison, and rather than seeing each other as brothers and sisters, we make each other enemies. It's the same in marriage, eh? It's really easy to make your spouse your enemy. But here's the truth. So, so Jesus said that he sees you and your wife as one, or you and your husband as one, and he also sees the church as one. So we must understand that when we eat and devour each other, we are in fact destroying ourselves. When I attack my wife, I am attacking myself. I'm destroying myself as she is me and me as her. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> See, another version puts it like this. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. So Paul goes on to say this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are led by the Spirit you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Right, uh, this morning I want to talk specifically about, um, about serving, about serving one another in brotherly love, as, as Paul exhorts us to. Um, and so as we talk about it, um, there's one statement that I, um, that I really like about leadership, and it goes like this. It says, if serving is below you, then leadership is beyond you. 
right? If serving is below you, then leadership is beyond you. And I would like to suggest this as well. If serving is below you, then following Jesus is beyond you. Um, And one of the things that I want us to understand this morning is this idea that not all serving is service. Or not all service is serving. So when is serving not serving? When is serving not serving? When it's self-serving. When is serving not serving? When it's self-serving. See, sometimes our service can be self-serving. We serve to get others to like us. We serve to be admired or to achieve our own goals. And that is not serving. That is manipulation. See, the motivation is always the most important thing. Are we serving from guilt? Are we serving to achieve something? Are we serving to get something in return? Are we serving as a means to an end? Maybe you want to be a leader. Maybe you aspire to be a leader and you've heard that that someone said you've got to serve first. So you go, all right, well, I'll serve. But serving is not a means to an end. It is not a way to the top. (laughs) It's not something we do. Jesus is a servant. It is his nature. It is his character. And so if we're taking on the likeness and image of Jesus himself, then serving is who we are. It is not something we do. Robert Greenleaf, he said this. He said, often a person genuinely and willingly serves, but sees service as a means to an end. That end being a rise to a position where you no longer have to serve others, but have others serve you. They serve wholeheartedly all the time as they see it on the way up. But when they get to the top, they turn into tyrants. So how do we know if we're serving with the right motivation? Um, So people that serve with the right motivation, I think, are able to set healthy boundaries and are able to rest. People that serve with the right motivation have healthy boundaries and they're able to rest. And so boundaries are really, um, are really interesting, eh? Um, if you've ever been a person that has maybe struggled with uh, being, a, you know, being a yes person and sometimes it feels like people were just um, walking all over you and you've tried to set some boundaries, uh, if you've ever done this, you'll know what I'm talking about. You've set some boundaries and now some people are offended about your boundaries. Yeah? Let me tell you this. The people that are offended about your boundaries are people who are using you. Yeah? When we're serving with the right motivation, we set healthy boundaries. Your mismanagement is not my emergency. The other thing that we do when we have the right motivation is that we are able to rest. And so this is this idea of Sabbath, this idea of Sabbath. In, um, in Matthew, Jesus was challenged uh, by his, uh, the Pharisees around his disciples gathering wheat on the Sabbath. Um, and so Jesus replied with a number of things, but one of the things he said to them was that the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And so what, uh, you might be wondering, oh, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is this, this day of rest that was set apart for the Israelites. And so on the seventh day, uh, they would rest. And, um, 
And so basically they, they set that whole day apart. They weren't allowed to do anything. They weren't allowed to achieve anything on that day. Um, I, I have heard of um, some uh, you know, Orthodox Jews who still practice this um, very religiously, and they won't even fold toilet paper on that day. They pre-fold all the toilet paper so that they don't have to even achieve rolling, folding up toilet paper. Uh, if they want uh, maybe a can of Coke on that day, they'll pre-open them. I'm not joking. They follow it to the letter of the law. But the point of this is, is, that, is that, that, you know, from the way that we would understand Jesus uh, uh, explaining this to us is that he is saying, listen, the Sabbath is for you. You need a day of rest. You were made to rest. You know, um, I, I believe it was Constantine that decided that it would be good to have a 10-day working week and all the horses started to die. They just weren't made to go 10 days in a row. Right? We are made for rest, to work six days and rest one. And so here's what Jesus went on to say. He then said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. So rest is a lordship issue. Rest is a lordship issue. And then Jesus also said this, that he is the Lord of the harvest. So he's the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the harvest. And, and again, this is a trust issue. And the trust issue is this. If God can be trusted in my rest, then he'll be glorified in the harvest. And the trust is understanding this, that God's rest day is always more productive than a man's day of work. Yeah, because if, we, if we're going seven days a week without resting or we're constantly serving others without taking a rest, we, what we are actually doing is saying that my effort is worth more than what God can do. But Sabbath actually is a lordship issue. It's actually saying I'm going to stop and rest on this day because I trust God that you are working on my behalf while I'm, while I'm resting. He, it's actually, he actually gives it to us for that reason. It's a lordship issue. Let me explain it a little bit more like this. Um, so we're saying that I trust God with this part. So it's, it's really like giving as well. Yeah? We say, God, I trust you with this part. And in doing so, we bring all of our finances under the lordship of Jesus. So there's actually a theme right through Scripture along these lines. When, when one part is set apart, the whole becomes blessed. When one part is set apart, the whole becomes blessed. It's always a lordship issue. It's always a trust issue. So rest, listen to this. You need to get this if, you, if you're someone that, that struggles with rest. Rest keeps the misguided motives for serving from having lordship. All right? Rest keeps the misguided motives for serving from having lordship. Giving keeps the spirit of mammon from having lordship. good principles, eh? Now, it's all about trust. Do I actually trust Jesus? All right. Um, my last thought for this morning is, is around this, that when we serve, we serve from love. We never, ever serve to get love. Sometimes that can be a motivation. But as, as people of the kingdom of heaven, we know this, that we are receivers and then givers. And I never receive my love from you. 
because the day that I do, I elevate you above the Lordship of Jesus. I never receive my love from you. I receive from him and I give to you just as you might receive from him and give to me. But I never take, I never need to take from anyone. And believe me, I'm saying that as I'm becoming. <laughs> so who knows that sometimes, definitely, I think that way still. But I'm, my mind is being renewed, <laughs> amen? But the point is this, is that if we are a community that is different from the world, then we are a community of givers that elevate one another never takers. Once we start to become takers, then we are actually elevating people above the Lordship of Jesus. We always receive from him and give away. Receive from him and give away. And, and so the, um, the, one of the interesting things as well is that we often give love the way we want to receive love. Yeah, so if you think about the love languages, um, and if you've been married, you've probably heard about the love languages. Um, but the interesting thing is that we always tend to give away what we actually want in return. So, so it's, you know, it's like loaded love because you know, my, my love language is um, words of affirmation. Most guys, probably. I just want Ellie to tell me that I'm hot. <laughs> Whatever, you know. Um, but hers is acts of service, yeah? So I come home and Ellie's had a tough day and for me, I say, well, love feels like so, someone saying encouraging things to me. So I come in and go, Ellie, you're so beautiful. You're amazing. And she's just going, would you get out the flipping vacuum cleaner and vacuum the house? So I have learned now that if Ellie's had a tough day, don't say anything, pick up the vacuum cleaner. That will show her that I love her. Yeah? But the problem is we always try and get love the way that we receive love. But here's the thing. When we're in the kingdom, we receive love from the Father and we give it away to each other. There's no returns needed because I'm not trying to get it from you. Is that all right? All right, we got questions? Lots of questions. Just, just, a, just a couple. <laughs> Are you ready? All right, we'll start with an easy one. Okay. Uh, how do I develop more trust in Jesus? And there was also a similar question. What are other ways we can grow into unity with him? Okay, yeah, really good. Um, so I think there's two ways. There's there obviously being with him. Is, is, is the key thing. Abide in me and I in you. Abiding is always the key thing. How we get to the abiding is often where we, where we struggle. How do we do that? And that, that's where we have all of these principles. So last week I was talking about the trellis. Sabbath is one of those. So Sabbath is a really practical thing that says Jesus being with you is more important than me achieving today. And so we, we force ourselves into resting with him instead of trying to achieve something in our own effort. And so there's lots of those different principles that we can add to our trellis that helps us to abide. But the point always has to be abiding. Um, and so, you know, um, prayer, obviously, worship, um, they're all different ways that we can. Uh, and I, I maybe go, if you want to um, hear some messages on it, go back to our series on Disrupt the System. Because basically all of the systems of the world want to disrupt you from abiding. And so at some point, we have to disrupt those systems. And so disrupting those systems, and actually maybe, maybe life is just so chaotic and noisy for you, maybe you just need some uh, you know, solitude, just to be by yourself with God. You know, it's all of those things. But that's, the, that's your part to play. I'm making a choice today 
to do this instead of that. And so we, we learn to abide that way. Yep. Yeah, it's the gaps in the trellis. Yeah, totally. That's good. Uh, with this, can we bring clarity to one's significance? Is it by the recognition of others or your recognition of your value in Christ? Yeah, great. So definitely your recognition of your value in Christ. So we have up on our wall that you belong. And I always say, we, the church, will not help you to feel like you belong. You belong because of who you are. The moment that we try and get from the church what can only be met in Jesus, we are making an idol of the church before, and putting it before Jesus. We are trying to get from the church what we can only get from Jesus. And so if you are trying to get your significance from people around you, you, you are, that, that's an exercise in futility. Your significance is only found in your worth in Christ. Your belonging is only found in your worth in Christ. And so if all of us have that revelation, what a beautiful community we would have. Because none of us are looking to each other to try and get significance. If I need my significance from Sarah, guess what I am doing? I'm manipulating her all the time. Constantly manipulating. That is what it is. At the bottom line is manipulation. I need to get from something from you that you haven't even given me. I'm taking, I'm grasping. It's exactly what Paul was saying when he says that you're devouring and eating one another. Come on, like, if you go back to the garden, the very, like, this is, it's it, you know, the garden. Like, sin is crouching at your door and it wants to devour you. This is, this is what Paul was picking up on, that kind of language. Like, that this, this hamatia, this, this disconnection from God, not partaking in the divine, not partaking in the love life of God is causing you to devour each other because you're trying to take from each other what can only be found in Him. Very good. Uh, do you think that because of the social and cultural influence, churches confuse the freedom of Christ with the freedoms of the world, uh, freedom the world talks about? Give us your thoughts. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, and, and I guess... Um, that's, I kind of mentioned it last week around, um, you know, permissive love. And Did I talk about this last week? No. Um, so um, I talked about it on the squadcast. Um, Peter McHugh, he, he has uh, this thought that the difference between the world's love and the love that is described in Scripture is the difference between permissive love and redemptive love. So the world offers permissive love, which is basically you can do what you want, be what, what you want, you know, you're free, baby, to do whatever and be whoever. Um, and that's permissive love. Um, and that's secularism at its, you know, the peak of secularism is, is permissive love. Um, but in the kingdom, it's redemptive love. It says, I, I love you so much that I'll accept you as you are, but I also love you so much I'm not going to leave you as you are. You've, you've, you know, in the kingdom, we're being transformed in, into the image and likeness of Jesus. And, and so absolutely, there's a, there's a, a big difference between those two. And, and I think the, um, what we talked about last week with moralistic therapeutic deism um, is that whole sort of permissive love, the world's idea of freedom creeping into the church. Do you want to explain what the squadcast is since you just... Oh, yeah, I, I thought everyone would know by now, but no. Um, so the Squadcast is an extra podcast that we do on uh, usually a Monday morning where we'll unpack a little bit more of the message. There might be some extra questions. Uh, we talk about it, and um, it's just short, about 20 minutes, and they are for you to go and uh, 
you can listen to individually, but then when you go into your groups or into your squads during the week, they've got some key questions that you can ask one another so that you can encourage one another and um, keep each other accountable and vulnerable. And yeah, so, so that is on every, anywhere that you find a podcast, it's on there. Great. Uh, so how can we rest on a Sunday if we're serving? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I, I think the point of this is is that um, the Sabbath the Sabbath is not a particular day. The Sabbath is the day that you rest. Yeah. So um, so and, and I, I know some people that will split it in half. In fact, the Sabbath actually started on on about seven o'clock the night before, through to um, seven o'clock the next night. So it didn't start in the morning, it actually started in the evening. So um, I know some people that will take two half days during the week. The point is that they are saying, I, need, I know I need to rest, and I'm, I'm taking my rest days. So for some people, it, you know, I would imagine most people, Saturday is probably the best day to actually do that, because a lot of people aren't working. Yes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it was given for us. Yeah. Great. Uh, yeah, it's all right. All good. Yeah. Uh, do you have to give money to eliminate the spirit of mammon? Can you give your time instead? No. No. They, they have no correlation. Yeah. What rules your life? Money. That's right. Cool. I think the time, the time thing is the Sabbath. Yeah, and the money thing is the money thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Great. Let's uh, let's gather around communion. Music team, you can come back. Yeah, that was fun. I love questions. It's good. All right. Um, as we gather around communion this morning, obviously this is our time of response. And um, I just wanted to read for us this morning just um, uh, an example of Jesus serving. Um, uh, you know, you constantly, I mean, there's so many examples. I love that, that Jesus, just after he uh, had risen again. So think about this. Jesus has just conquered death, conquered sin, like defeated the enemy, like the greatest, like overcoming, you know, like all of that. One of the first things that he does is make his disciples breakfast. Like, I mean, that's just, one of the first acts he does is serve them. I just think it's beautiful. But Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In John 13, we see this account. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet 
drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus does the act of the lowest of the lowest in that society. He washes the feet. That was the act of the lowest servant in a household, to wash their feet. The interesting thing there as well is that Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him and still washes his feet. In doing so, displays what it looks like to love your enemy, to love the one who is about to betray you, love the one who may be continuing to betray you. And when people hurt us, Jesus says, wash their feet. People offend us, Jesus says, wash their feet. It's a hard pill to swallow, but he gives us his spirit so we can do it. That is the way of Jesus. As we serve others, we are undoing the effects of the fall on the earth. (laughs) We are bringing the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. Jesus, we just take this moment you know we may have had busy weeks we may have had stressful weeks but Jesus we choose this moment to fix our eyes on you to fix our hearts towards you to fix our attention on you say thank you thank you Jesus thank you for the cross thank you for the pain that you bore on our behalf thank you for the example that you have set for us thank you for giving us your spirit so that we could follow you faithfully Thank you for your death and resurrection. I 
thank you as I participate in your death and resurrection that I am stepping into new life. We thank you for every person here today. We thank you that, that every day is a new opportunity to step into the new life that you have paid for the life that is free from self-indulgence, the life that is free from self-righteousness, the life that is free from comparison, the life that is free from uh, competition and achievement, the life that is free from devouring one another. We thank you that you have paid for that life that is free from all of that so that we can live to glorify your name. We thank you, Jesus, for all of this. May we never lose sight of it. May we always pursue you. Thank you, Jesus.